You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, you are open to the book of Joel. Now, listen, we're going to be in the Bible quite a bit. Uh, I'll have some verses on the screen, but most of what I'm going to want you to see, including the victory verse later on in the message, I always save the best for last, right? Uh, so you want to have your Bibles open to the book of Joel, if, if at all possible, or your electronic devices, whatever you have is good, but make sure that you're there because we're, we're going to see some great, great things. We've been in a sermon series entitled Victory Verses, Scriptures That Change Everything. And what happens is we usually like to take a chapter or a book in the Bible, like today, a book in the Bible, and kind of give you an overview, read lots of scriptures in and around the victory verse without reading the victory verse. Because I feel as if it really allows the Holy Spirit of God to to bring the truth straight off the pages of the Bible as if it were to almost the Holy Spirit of God just just inject this into your hearts. That's, That's my prayer over the next... 35 to 40 minutes as I, as I preach this message, a lot of groundwork. I've got to lay a lot of groundwork. Now, please know that we are going to get to a place of victory. But, but, but I need you to stay with me and understand that sometimes as God works, I think we've saved the best victory verse for last, but as God works, he does surgery in the meantime, right? So let the Holy Spirit break up the fallow ground and work in all of our lives as we build up. Let me first say a word about a word. Do you like the way that came out? I want to say a word about a word, and the word is momentum. I like the word. It's a good word. Momentum. Momentum is defined as such. It is something that is created by the continuous motion of something moving in a particular direction. Momentum. It's a great thing. You get something rolling and get it rolling in the right direction and rolling with the right people and the right cause and the right ingredients. And man, it picks up steam. There's nothing like when you are on a roll, moving in the right direction, and it is just victory after victory, blessing after blessing. I mean, things are going well. And our lives, church, our lives spiritually can build momentum and be powerful forces for God. We can. I believe that. So I want to talk to you about a little bit about momentum. But sadly, I got to give you the opposite side of the coin. Momentum can go in the wrong direction as well. And it can be a negative thing that produces a lot of regret. In our lives as well. Momentum. Just which direction? How many of you have ever heard of a quarterback in the NFL who is now retired? His name is, just out of curiosity, see how far we go back here in this auditorium in the balcony on the main floor. Give me a, give me a hand for John Elway. Anybody? Wow. Man. Okay, good. Lots of people. If you didn't raise your hand, it's okay. Can I tell you about this guy? Because a lot of you know him. He was my favorite quarterback back in the day. Now, when you get my age and you're going that far back, you know, you're going back, you know, late 70s, early 80s, and through the 80s and early 90s, John Elway was an amazing quarterback. He really was. Um, 
I wrote down a few notes, and now I can't find my notes about old Johnny, but I think I can remember everything I said. Here it is. John Elway was one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. No doubt went to the, uh, went to the Hall of Fame as well. He was a star in high school. He went to Stanford, recruited very high to go to Stanford University to play football and ended up being a great college football player. In fact, he was runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, which is the college football player of the year, runner-up twice, two times. He never got the Heisman Trophy. He fell short of it, but he was runner-up twice. He never went to a bowl game. Kind of sounds strange. I mean, why in the world am I bragging about this quarterback? I mean, never went to a bowl game, runner-up to the Heisman Trophy twice. In fact, in 1982, he led his team to a game-winning touchdown against Cal State Fullerton. In fact, this was an amazing game because if they were to win this game, they would go to a bowl game. So he leads his team down the field. They score the touchdown. There's four seconds left in the game. Four seconds. All basically Stanford's got to do is kick the ball, make a stop, make a tackle, whatever, game over. But what happened was what's called the play. That's what it's called. Take a look. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline. Another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They get it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going into the end of the The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Oh, my God. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, in the history of college football. Can you believe that? How many of you remember seeing that years ago? And he got any seers there? All right, a lot less. But that was an amazing play. John Elway lost. No wonder he was the runner-up for Heisman. No wonder he never made a bowl game. But he went on to be the number one draft pick for the Denver Broncos in the NFL. And man, he began to play quarterback there. Ended up being an all uh, Hall of Fame football player. He went to three Super Bowls and lost all three. I mean, it's sad. And hey, listen, he lost them bad, like forty-five to ten. I mean, like, he got demolished every time he went to the final game. He got squashed, just killed, you know. Until the last two years of his career, he's like thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Super Bowl win, Super Bowl win. John Elway's career? Lose, 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 win, win. Here's the question for you. Can life momentum be reversed? That's the question. There's a lie, and it is very common, and it goes like this. Ah. It's too late for me, preacher. I've just gone too far. I've, I've lived like this too long. I've just, I've done this too long. I, I just can't change. I can't turn around. I've just messed things up so bad. There's just no way it could ever be reversed. 
Now, I want to set the record straight this morning from the outset of this message that you, let me make it personal, I am not too far gone. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for me. It's not too much error. It's not too much time. It's not too much regret. It's not too much consequences. Listen, if you're not dead, God's not done. I mean, that's the sermon. Let's just all go home. Amen. Come on. What about that right there? If you're not dead, God's not done. I want to give you a little background of the book of Joel. Because I just looked at Joel back there. Amen. My buddy Joel. All right. Love you, Joel. I, I, I thought that was straight that I just said, let me give you a background of Joel. And I'm looking at Joel. I mean, not the guy that wrote it. No, he's not here. Trust me. That'd be spooky. Joel was a minor prophet. Remember, minor in length, but not minor in importance. Okay. He was written, this book was written in the late 700s BC, closer to 800 BC. The occasion of the book is actually strange. It's a locust plague. Like, that's basically what the book really talks most about, is this massive, devastating locust plague that came upon Israel. It was a warning. The prophet was bringing a warning. A locust plague is very, very dangerous. Locusts are one of the most devastating pests known in all of mankind. They are the largest grasshopper, or, or really what they are is large grasshoppers that eat their weight every single day. In 1874, 120 billion locusts cut a path of destruction more than 100 miles across the Great Plains here in our country. Now, we don't have video of that, but what's interesting is in 2015... There was another locust plague in the country of Russia. And I do have a little video of that. Just take a look. I just want you to see it. I mean, we're trying to make the Bible come alive if that's okay. Take a look. Ken. Since June, the swarms have devastated. Pay close attention to that word because we're going to be talking about some things that are devastating. And here was a, lo- a swarm of locusts that, that destroyed and devastated 350,000 acres here just a few years ago in this world. What God had done here is sent a devastating infestation of locusts to the land of Israel where his people were. They were getting into homes and devouring everything that they could and all getting into the covers and destroying all their food and leaving behind devastation. So with that is the backdrop of our text. So let's now go to the book of Joel chapter 1 and join me in reading or let me read for you while you read with me Joel chapter 1. Look at it. The word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Pethuel. Look at the invasion of locust. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, O inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days? Or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. 
And let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Here it is. Tell them what the cutting locust left. The swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, pay close attention to this word, the destroying locust have eaten. This, church, is God's judgment upon his people. Listen, for their complacency. Now, church, this morning, I want us to identify not... Now, I don't want us to have pride this morning in thinking, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I know people like that. No, I want you to be thinking about the complacency in your life, in my life. Because truly today, we see some complacency settling in on our lives that has put us in a place oftentimes where the momentum is not going in the right direction. They had the goodness of the Lord. They had the kindness of the Lord. They had the blessing of the Lord. But they had grown indifferent to God's kindness. They had grown indifferent to his blessing and to his goodness. And he was creating in them a desperation to cause them to return to him. All right, Locust, let's go. Need a couple billion of you to get on it. We got some things to do today. Now, before the good news, we always have to get to the bad news. I've said that often and let the Holy Spirit work as we get to the victory verse. But understand there's some things that need to come before that. And that is this. There is, church, a way down to destruction. I want you to notice some words here as we identify what is it that brings someone down to destruction or you know, in a path of momentum that leads to things that cause us to feel as if there is no hope and there's no way I could ever get back. Well, number one, it's this. Look, if you would, at verse 12 of chapter 1. The vine dries up. I have the word dries circled. The fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are, look at it, dried up. And gladness dries up. Because that's really what it's all about. It's not about the trees. It's not about the vine or the, or the pomegranate or the palm. Or the, it's about the heart. It's about the fact that the gladness, the joy in our lives has dried up. Why? Well, just for a moment, can you imagine the devastation that they were observing as these locusts had torn through the land? Everything dried up. Once there was a field of grain, once there was a field of wheat that was flourishing and growing and producing uh, sustenance for their country, and the next day it was total devastation. Here's my observation. What is it exactly about human behavior that the farther we go in any direction, the less likely we are to return? Meditate for just a moment. Just an observation. What is it about human behavior? That the farther we go in any direction, the less likely we are to return. The longer I am selfish, the more likely I'll always be selfish. The longer I'm sensual, the more likely I'll always be sensual. The longer that I am stubborn or prideful or materialistic or rebellious or prayerless, the longer I am this way, the less likely I will ever change. And the capacity to really change begins to dry up. Gladness dries up. I lose hope. Question, what's been drying up in your spiritual life? What is it? 
Identify it this morning. Does the worship of God still move you? Does the word of God still grip you? Are you looking for ways to serve and be used when announcements are made? Are you excited about how you can connect to those announcements and how you can participate and serve the Lord and be a part of small group? And I mean, it just excites you. Or, to be honest, is that kind of drying up? Number two, after the capacity to change course dries up, secondly, the opportunity to change course begins to be devoured. Look at verse number 19 and verse 20 of chapter 1. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beast of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up. The fire has devoured the pastures and the wilderness. Chapter 2 and verse number 5 speaks of the rumbling of chariots. They leap on tops of mountains like the cracking of a flame of fire. Devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. We see here that fire is devouring the land. Maybe you've been to a place where a fire took place. Maybe a house that was burned. And sometimes you drive by and you know, you, you can see there's maybe a little hope there. I mean, there's, you know, the, the structure's still there. The firemen got to it soon enough to put most of it out and it can be repaired. But then have you ever been to one where it's basically just ashes? That's all that's left. There's nothing left. Those fires out in California that destroyed whole cities. I had a good friend that from Hot Springs that I, I work with here at the community center, attends another church, attends Legacy Church in town. He went out there to help those people. And he said, Eric, it was the most dead. He was sending me videos while he was there walking through neighborhoods where there was no sign of anything. Devastation devoured everything. The longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back. You know, think about the opportunity that you have every Sunday at Gospel Light. I do. I do. I, I want you to know, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. I really am. I'm thinking about the opportunity that God has given me to be here, to experience the fellowship of God's people, to get filled up spiritually and, and, and to worship with God's people and to, and to hear God's word and, and then to know that this week I've got a small group on Wednesdays to go to and some, a group to be accountable to and to share and open up even farther God's word. And man, the opportunity... So often I feel is lost. It's just lost. We, we, we sit and we hear, but much like Matthew teaches us, in, as, as, as the Lord taught in Matthew 5 when he said that the foolish man is one who hears what the word of God says, but does not do what it says, an opportunity begins to be devoured. Thirdly, after capacity to change dries up, an opportunity to change course begins to be devoured Awareness for need to change is then lost in darkness. You see, eventually we get to the place where we just don't see what's wrong with me. What's what's wrong? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? My observation is this. The ability to see it clearly and to recognize the damage that is being done is lost. 
Well, we don't even really see it. We, we begin to make excuses. We begin to, to not even identify the, the problem. And it, it just, it's not really a problem, is it? Joel chapter 2 and verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness. There is spread upon the mountains. Verse 10. The sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. These are all metaphors. Joel is using his observation of God's creation to describe the human heart. Dark. Let me give you just a few thoughts about that. You know you're declining in darkness when first of all, sin is obvious and you are unconcerned. It's obvious. But nobody's perfect, right? I mean, I'm not as bad as Bill or Dave or Steve. I'm not as bad as Sue or Sylvia. I mean, come on. Could be worse. Give me a break. It's not a big deal. I mean, I know it's there, but really? Number two, when stubbornness grows, but I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not concerned, and I'm not concerned that I'm not concerned. I just don't care. I'm doing what I'm going to do, and the rest is not changing. Be happy with what you get, God. I mean, look, I do good over here. Look, I'm in church actually this morning. Are you happy with that? I know I got all kinds of problems over here. I know I'm, but look, hey, you know, I'm at least, you know, just stop trying to change this. It's not changing, God. It's going on for too long. Be happy with what you get of me. Stubbornness grows, and I just don't. And then thirdly, seclusion becomes common. You see, getting alone is what the person resisting God needs the least, but wants the most. Seclusion. Small group? (laughs) Ain't happening for me. I'm not going to some group where I'm going to have to say, talk. I mean, I ain't going to do that. I don't want them to find out. I don't want to hear their... I don't... I ain't... Accountability? You want me to be discipled? Really? So you want me to go sit down with an older man in the church or an older woman in the church or whatever and actually talk? No way. I'll just stay by myself. Seclusion becomes a common thing. And then fourthly, shame is absent, and I don't really feel bad about it. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 15 puts it the best. When it says, were they ashamed when they committed, strong word, abomination. Were they ashamed? Nah, not at all. They were not at all ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. Now, before I give you this fourth thing, I want to say this just real quick. To every leader in this church, to the elders, to the deacons, to the staff, and to those of you that spiritually have maybe gotten to a place where God could use you to help people, but when's the last time we sat down across the table with somebody and had a cup of coffee or a Coke or a, and just said, hey man, I love you, I'm concerned about you, and I'm just reaching out. I think this is a good spot. It's not really even in my notes. It's just something that God convicted me of in the first service because I think right now, 
there's a need for some of us to wake up and realize we've been called to disciple others who are struggling and hurting. And one of the things that, that saddens me is that as people go down this path of destruction, nobody's there to help them. Nobody's there to say, hey, wait a minute, can we talk? And if they don't want to talk, at least we tried. Something to be convicted about. Number four. When capacity to change course dries up, an opportunity to change course begins to be devoured, and awareness for need to change is lost in darkness, then finally, inclination to change course is gone, and then comes this horrible word, desolation. It's the darkest word in the Bible. There is no darker word than desolation. Look at it in chapter 2, verse 3. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing, nothing escapes them. Listen to the definition of the word desolate. No life and no source of life. It's like these people that go to Mars and dig in mud looking for signs of life on Mars. Question, church. They're not finding, as they dig through mud, any life on Mars because, church, answer, there is no life on Mars. There's no source of life. The human soul can become just like that. A desolate wilderness. An older man, an older preacher that I knew years ago growing, not really that long ago, to be honest, sins that he hid and he had committed and finally came to light that he was a pedophile. Went to jail. Died in a cell. Sinful end to his shallow, selfish life. And Erica Pacey is not immune to that. But for the grace of God, there go I. You know, when I was growing up, I got saved in 1978, right? I'd never heard a Christian musician in my life. My favorite musician was Elton John. I used to listen to all of Elton John's songs, you know. And that's all I knew. I didn't know anything about Christian music. So I get saved in 78. and Somebody gives me a Keith Green tape. Keith Green was one of the first contemporary artists in, 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 in contemporary music. And I, li- I wore that tape out. In 1982, Keith Green died in a plane crash. He had two of his children in the plane with him. He had another one-year-old, and his wife was pregnant for four months when he passed away at age 32. But as I was coming to this part of the message, there was a song that Keith Green wrote that I think really describes where we all need to be right now in the message. Here's where we need to be. I'll let Keith sing. It's about 50 seconds. My eyes are dry My faith is old My heart is hard My prayers are cold And I know how I ought to be Alive to you And dead to me 
the attitude that we all ought to have right now is an attitude that says thank you very much that's enough an attitude that says what can be done for this old heart of mine God soften it up soften me up get rid of my pride help me to open up about where I'm at in my spiritual walk the writer of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 10 For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Hosea said it like this. Break up the fallow ground of your heart, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. David said it like this. Sunday morning, March 10th. Are you listening? Sunday morning, March 10th. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Ready for the victory verse? Ready? Hey, did I tell you? Look, one thing about Erica Pacey. We we may go low. We may have to face reality about where we're at. But we're coming out on top side. So listen now. God doesn't leave us here. There's something he wants us to know. Here it is. I'm not going to give it to you right off the bat. You're going to have to wait a little longer. But we're going to start building up because now it's time for us to find out what thus saith the Lord here is. Let's call this the way back to God. Shall we? The way back. Look at Joel chapter 2. Let's start in verse 12 real quickly. It says, in fact, in my Bible, it says, return to the Lord. Verse 12. Yet, even now declares the Lord. I want to stop right there for just a moment and say that that right there blows my mind. I mean, God, you don't understand all the things I've done, all the mistakes I've made, all the times I've let you down, all the times that I've pastored this church and made bad decisions and all the times I've not been what I need to be in my marriage, the mistakes I've made with my children, the years I, I, I was not what I needed to be. God, are you serious? What are you talking about? God says, no, 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 listen. Yet, even now, declares the Lord. He loves you. He wants you. He's waiting for you. And don't you ever get over that. Yet even now. When you've run so far. When you've rebelled so long. When you refused so hard. And even said it'll be a cold day. In before I ever do that. Return to me. Rest of the verse. With all your heart with fasting with weeping with mourning what does it mean when it says with all your heart let's start there it means this nothing else matters nothing else i'm going to be as right with and as close to and as 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 deep into my walk with the lord as i've ever been in my life and nothing is going to get in the way of that nothing I mean, I am so determined with all of my heart that this is going to be a change. I'm going to return to the Lord with all of my heart. Now, how do you do this? How does this happen? 
Here's how it happens. Number one, you got to return intensely. You got to do it intensely. You can't play, church. See, too many of us are playing with our spiritual lives. We're half in, we're half out. And I'm not talking about half in or half out. We're talking about it's not hit and miss. It's all in. It's not every other Sunday. It's every Sunday. It's not, well, I'll get in a small group one of these days. No, it's, I'm getting a small It's not, well, I might join the next time. No, let's get in. Let's do this thing. Let's go. I'm so tired of running in the wrong direction. I want to turn this thing around. Now, what are the three prescriptions? How will I know if I'm returning to the Lord with all my heart? It's right here. It's in that verse, verse 12. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Fasting meaning I'm going to abstain from food for a period of time to heighten my hunger for God. But I think our problem in the church today is that we want the dessert, but we don't want the main course. We like the fluff. We like we like the videos, you know. Yeah, more videos. Make me laugh. I had a guy tell me this morning, man, you're funny, preacher. I like listening to you. Thank you. I, I take all those compliments, and I'm like, that's a blessing. Thank you. I, I, you know, when I teach homiletics, I teach, add a little humor to your sermon. So I'm doing all these little things good, and you're so proud of me, aren't you? Where's the change? Don't give me, I don't eat, I mean, I appreciate the compliments, they, they, they're encouraging, but that's, this is not like, this 45 minute message is not really the indicator of where you're at spiritually. Neither is it an indicator of where I'm at spiritually. Do you know how many guys do this and they go to their office and watch pornography? Do you know how many guys do this every Sunday and they cheat on their wives with their secretary throughout the week? You do know that, right? I mean, this, this is not, because I'm up here preaching doesn't mean I'm some great Christian. It doesn't mean you're some great Christian because you're listening. It's about fasting and weeping. What is weeping? Weeping is tenderness. Weeping is caught. What can be done for this old heart of mine? God soften it up with the oil and the wine. No more dry eyes. Weeping. What about mourning? Mourning is true repentance. Mourning is godly sorrow. Listen, if we keep doing what we've always done, we will keep getting what we've always gotten. So we've got to change something. We've got to be serious about change. So if you say... If I make this move, preacher, what will be the result? What, what's going to happen? Can you give me some insight? Well, let me, let me show you from Scripture. Look at verse 13 and 14 of Joel chapter number 2. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. How amazing is that? You want to know what the result will be? It'll be God will be right there with a blessing to return to you. The joy and the gladness that was destroyed. 
Number two, secondly, God will remove whatever has been holding you down. If you would look at verse 20, do you see those three words there? If you're looking at scripture, would you say those three words with me? I will what, church? I will remove. Can you say it with me a little louder? I will remove. I will remove. Remove what? I'll remove the northerner far from you. That, that's the invaders. That's the enemy. I'll remove the enemy far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard, that's the anchor. That's an anchor in your life that's holding you down. I'm going to take his vanguard into the eastern sea. His rear guard, there's another anchor that's holding you down. I'm going to throw that into the western sea. And the stench and the foul smell of all of that junk in your life is going to rise up because I'm going to do great things. Question, what's the anchor in your life that's been holding you down? What is it? What is the anchor in your life that's holding you down? Is it a pattern of speech? Is it an addictive crutch? A toxic relationship? A group of friends? Is it a place that you should never, ever go again? What is it? What is that anchor? God says, I'm going to remove it. Just turn. Turn. Come on. Turn. And I'll take care of that for you. Look at verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The, the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree, the vine tree, give their full yield. Man, things are changing. Be glad, O children of Zion. Be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God. Do you know what rejoicing is? Rejoicing is the verbal form of joy. Listen, joy inside, right? When joy is inside, rejoicing comes out. It's on my face. It's in my voice. God is doing great things. And and you can tell it. You can see it. So why aren't people running to this? This is amazing. Why aren't people running to this? This is just... Isn't this irresistible? Listen, here's why people are not running to this. Because we believe the lie that we have gone too far. We believe there's not enough time left to be a different person. And so, you know what that is? That's a drum roll. Not as good as Tyler. But it's my version. Here we go, the victory verse. You're not going to believe this. It's one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. Put your seatbelts on. Sit down. Are you sitting down? (laughs) Here it is, Joel 2.25. I will restore to you the days, the months. No, 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 the years. I'm going to give you back all the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. All the years that the alcohol has eaten. All the years the pornography has eaten. All the years of the neglect of your wife have eaten. All the years of the nagging your husband have eaten. All the years of your financial ruin have eaten. All the years of your addiction have eaten. All the years of your complaining have eaten. All the years of your complacency have eaten. All of those years that you wasted doing those things, I'm going to give them all back to you. 
the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, all of it. I'm going to destroy, I'm going to restore those years. God is saying, church, this is crazy. This is insane. This is so radical. This is reckless love. God is saying this. You knew what was right. You chose what was wrong. But if you return to me, I'm going to make it like you didn't waste any years. That is a game changer. That's a victory verse. God can make it like those years never happened. I mean, think about it, church. For me, all the years, I look back on my pastorate of 26 years. And I think, man, I should be farther than this. But because of my stupid decision, because of my pride, because of things that I did that I shouldn't have done, because of mistakes that I made, I look back on 26 years and think, man, I should be farther than this. But now I'm not because of all those stupid decisions. And God says, return to me, Eric. I'll restore those years. I'll give them all back to you. You'll have the greatest close to your ministry. You're ready to win two Super Bowls, Capace? Let's go win some Super Bowls. You've had some losses. What about my marriage? 30 years of marriage. But I look back over the marriage and I see times where I could have done better and I should be farther down the road. You say, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is I just did a marriage retreat with my wife this past week in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We actually taught it. Now, I want to recommend something. Go to marriage retreats, but don't teach them. I have to do it often. It's the most painful thing you'll ever do because you're teaching people how to do things that you need to do. And so you sit there and you just basically confess your inadequacies as a husband while everybody listens. They actually paid to come to this thing to listen to me tell them what I'm not doing. You know what that is? That's called authenticity. It gets the job done. It makes the difference. It changes lives. And the truth of the matter is, my wife and I, we look back over our marriage. We're having the greatest years of our life. Our marriage has never been better in every category. And yet we look back and say, God, man, we made some huge mistakes. Man, we didn't do some things. I look back at raising my kids. All five of my kids this morning are on this property in church. And yet I neglected them as I traveled this land and did things. And I I made mistakes and I wasn't at their ball games. And I I wasn't where I should have been as a dad. And and I had some years where I neglected and and, and I wasn't exactly what I should have been and what I would teach today. And I look back over that and say, God, you're restoring all those years. You're giving me the greatest years as a dad I've ever had. I'm watching my kids serve you in an amazing way because you are taking stupid decisions and wasted years and you're restoring them. That's my story. What's yours? What's your story? I mean, come on. All of us need this, don't we? Or is it just me? Am I the only one? God loves us. He's waiting for us. His arms are open. So let's read together. In Joel chapter 2, the reality of returning to God is this. Verse 13, return to the Lord your God. Verse 12, you do it with fasting, weeping, mourning. And then he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Who knows whether or not he will return and relent and give a blessing behind him. This is not just for Celebrate Recovery Church. This is not just for Gethsemane House. 
God forbid that those guys would ever feel like we're any better than them. Hey, guys, guess where I'm sitting? If I'm ever sitting, I'm sitting with you guys because I'm one of you. Away with pharisaical Christians who think that people that go to Friday night celebrate recovery are the only ones with problems. No, they're just the only ones with guts enough to admit they have them. What am I saying? I'm simply saying, church, we need to let down our guards and return to the Lord. We need to come back to him and say with all of our hearts, God, restore what was lost. That's number three, and I'm done. God, restore what was lost. It's not too late. It's not too late for God to restore the years that have been wasted. You know what regret is? Regret regret is rooted in time lost, isn't it? Isn't that what regret is? I mean, honestly, when you look back over your life and you say this, man, I regret. What are you saying? You're saying, man, I wasted that opportunity. I regret that decision. And I look back over it and and I have regrets. But restoration is this. It's God going beyond forgiveness to make our lives as though we had never run away. Oh, wow. Forgiveness is just the beginning. God, thank you for your forgiveness. But God, you're actually going to give me restoration. You're going, you're, you're going to make my life as if I, 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 I never actually made those mistakes or never ran away from you. Oh, there's consequences. There's things that are there. There's still some pain and some regret. Yes, but God has restored the wasted years. He's doing it for me as I speak in my marriage, in my fathering, in my pastoring, in my finances. He's restoring wasted years. He wants to do the same for you. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's how you've raised your kids. Maybe it's your spiritual walk with God. I don't know what it is, but it's something. And so as the worship team comes forward and prepares to sing, here's my heart, Lord. I want to prepare you by doing what Joel did. Joel did this. He called a solemn assembly. Can I do that right now? Can I call a solemn assembly? Can I tell you what a solemn assembly is? A solemn assembly is a group of Christians who are broken. We're just broken. And we realize it. We're not where we need to be. We want to be stronger. We, 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 want, we want to have momentum in the right direction. So we come to God and we're not bragging. We're not telling him all of our, you know, why we deserve. We're just, God, here's my heart. What can be done with this cold heart of mine? Here's my heart, Lord. Here it is. Give me truth. So here's what I'm going to consecrate a fast. Fast. Does that mean no food? It means whatever you want it to mean. I'm going to consecrate a fast. I'm going to call the elders and all the inhabitants of the land, all the membership of this church. And I'm going to ask you to cry out to the Lord on behalf of me, our church family, our, our, our future, the next 10 years, what God has in store for our school, our college, our church. Could this be a turning point for Gospel Light Champion?
our school? Could it be that if all of us together get momentum going in the right direction? Could it be that if all of us come together and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. We're going to get back to some things we used to do. We're going to, God's going to restore the years that the locusts have taken away. The things are going to change, but it won't happen without a fast. And so without getting too specific, because I've tried that before, and I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying it does work, but I'm not sure I feel comfortable right now with saying, okay, this day, I just feel comfortable saying, what's it look like for you before the end of March? Before the end of March, before March ends, March 31st, I think we go 31 days this month, would you take a day and fast? Some of you, it's going to look like this. Health-wise, I can, I can, I can fast. I, I, I'll live with no food and only water for 24 hours. I know I will. That's me. My health can sustain that, so I can do that. And I don't have time to teach on fasting this morning, but I do have time to say that there are concerns you need to take into consideration. Many of you, if not most of you, could probably do that one day. But others, maybe it would be, no, that's not me. But I can, I can say, God, I'm going to go without this. Maybe it's an electronic device. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, a coffee or Coke or, or something. Or maybe it's a, a hobby or a habit or something that you do that you're, that you're going to say, I'm going to sacrifice that so that I can deepen my, my hunger for God. Usually food's the best way to go be honest but whatever it is you choose between now and march the 30th would you take a day and do it would you take a day and say god i'm going to cry out my pastor called a fast he called it and and elders knew about it and and i and we talked about this last sunday that i i'm going to challenge our church and and maybe i told our staff i can't remember which group i told but i said i'm going to do something where i'm going to ask our church to join me i'm not asking you to do this without me i'm going to do it by the end of this month i'm going to take a day I'm going to have my wife come and pray. We're going to get to the altar as a couple, and we're going to pray. God, would you together, would you, would you take our hearts, knit our hearts together to this cause, to this church, to this family, and may we begin gaining momentum and become powerful forces in the hands of an almighty God. I'm going to leave it up to you as we pray and stand how you want to do that. If you want to come to the altar, if you want to pray with your spouse in your seats, you take the time to do it. Father, I love you and I thank you, God, for this opportunity to preach and share your word. This has been an amazing journey. Victory verses. Oh, God, thank you for the victory that you've given us this morning. Thank you, God, that in the midst of all the destruction and and all of the, the, the dryness and all of the locusts and all of the damage that was done, God, there rose, there rose from the pages of Scripture a God who loves me recklessly. And who says, if you'll return, I will restore the years. God, I don't get it. How could you do that, God? How do you love me so much? Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?